time. Welcome everyone to another episode of Four Layer Tates. We are doing, you know, another movie review. This movie on HBO Max until I think March 13th. Anyway, if you have a subscription, is Judas and the Black Messiah. I'm your girl Kim. It's me, Mimi. It's your boy Marcus, aka Mama Akua. My Mama Akua. Just proving that behind every black man is a strong black woman. All right. Oh, yes. And we have a special guest with us today. I'm going to let Mimi introduce her. Okay. Um, This is my girl, Octavia. She's just a wonderful black woman, um, entrepreneur. She offers unique insight into this movie in particular because she's from Chi-Town. And um, uh, I'll let her get into her unique insight into this particular story. <laughs> hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Thank you guys for inviting me. I was, I'm actually very honored. Um, I am, um, my background is in PR and marketing. So I did a lot of um, film, uh, gaming, PR and marketing. Um, and I'm just recently starting to venture out and do other things. But <laughs> PR and marketing is where I um, my, make my money. <laughs> um, so I'm originally from Chicago, and um, I guess growing up in Chicago, this was a story that, um, one, resonated for, for many reasons, but my, my father, my family is directly connected because uh, he's, he's my Fred Hampton was a cousin. Um, I didn't know him, of course. He died before I was born, but I grew up with stories and other things, and then Bill O'Neill was also connected um, to the family. So... Um, I grew up hearing all of the nitty gritty, <laughs> dirty stories, and then it, it, and then also like in Chicago, it's it's pretty much taught um, in school and a lot more than um, it, it isn't really taught outside of um, as, as a history subject like it is in Chicago or was at the time when I was coming up in school. So yeah. I may have some insight. Yes. Well, yes. we appreciate any insight that you can bring to Fred Hampton's story, not right. Judas's story. So were any of you guys familiar, like, with Fred Hampton before the movie? Or, well, I know a lot of people kind of know who he is, and um, but, like, the, the in-depth history. Um, well, I, you know, I'm not going to even begin to say I, I had as in-depth of uh, history as you, but I definitely, you know, knew uh, about Fred Hampton's story. And I was really, I've been really, really wanting to see his story brought to the big screen for a long time because I thought it was just uh, an amazing and unique story in American history and kind of just highlighted. I've always said that, um our heroes and by our i mean i guess like people uh people of color our heroes normally uh get assassinated when we start reaching across racial and ethnic lines and bringing people together especially uh, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. uh in in a fight against classism and and to work for you know the workers and laborers that's when we get taken out it's kind of like as long as we right as long as we are just like always and I'm always pro-black. I'm not saying not not to be, but as as long as we we are explicitly just like pro-black, seems like the the capitalists and the people and the powers that be 
use that label um, to keep dividing mm-hmm. us. But as soon as we are like the Rainbow Coalition and we bring in like the Young Patriots and the White Hillbillies and the Chicano group and all them, then it's like, oh, we got to get rid of this this motherfucker right here. So that's why I really, really, really um, was looking forward to this story and it coming to the big screen. Um, I'll let somebody else jump in. I, I know we're going to jump in with how we feel about the film, um, but let somebody else jump in about as far as history goes. No, no, I was going to say, I mean, like you mentioned, I, I didn't, I didn't learn about Fred Hampton until I was in college. So like you mentioned, like, I, I, like, I'm sure like his history and who he was was taught in Chicago, but especially here in Georgia, you know, that they're not going to, they're not going to teach the history of like a black revolutionary or a black leader. Like, hell, they'll teach you more about world history before they teach you about black American history. So I didn't um, learn about Fred Hampton until I saw his documentary when I was in college. Um, the, the, the one from the 70s, so the Fred Hampton documentary. But yeah, that was like my introduction into him. Yeah, and I know very little. I didn't know in depth. Like, you know how you just know bits and pieces. Like, he was the chairman. He died young. He, you know, Rainbow Coalition and how he was um, assassinated. So like, you know, I didn't know his story story. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I think, uh, and, you know, we normally in our format will go scene by scene, but I think because we have our special guest tonight, we were just... Do whatever, y'all, and I'll just jump in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we just want to talk about how we felt about the movie overall and what was what they got right, what they didn't get right, or whatever, whatever. Kim or Marcus? I mean, I'll go just because I didn't finish the movie, so I don't even have to say. <laughs> so, um, and because I did not finish doesn't mean that you should not finish. I just opted out halfway through um, for probably like three reasons. One, the depiction of Chicago. Like, to me, I felt like Chicago should have been a character in the film mm-hmm. because... <laughs> of all to me Chicago is one of the racist cities in the United States of America and that played into this chapter and it, it that was not public at all right so I was like mm-hmm. I'm checking out then <laughs> <laughs> it was triggering to me um, just the treatment just to see like yo, like the, all we want to do is protect our community, feed communities, make sure that we're healthy, make sure that we have power and unite with other communities that have a similar plight. And like, I was like, and I think I'm out because this is a little too much. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing was, you know, Fred Hampton was 21 and <laughs> Daniel Bible <laughs> is not 21 so, no. See, and that, that was a yeah that was a major yeah, problem so I was like why is he messing with this young girl like that was like a tr- troublesome I was like what did he have some kind of relationship I was like wait a second no the issue is they this character the actor is who's playing him is too old to play him so it doesn't <laughs> it didn't have like the power that it should have had if you would have had a young actor and it wouldn't have seemed so creepy to me in a, in that way with that like relationship with him and Deborah. 
Was that her name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was like, okay. <laughs> that was one of my major, major issues with the film is because I think even even Bill O'Neill, people don't realize how yes. young he was. He, yeah, he was a 17. Yeah, they were. They're both played by older actors, and I think it could have been pulled off. I, I, I see where they needed like some some heavy hitter names, but for example, the kid that plays in Snowfall could have been perfect. Mm-hmm. He could. I mean, there are people that could have who were younger and who who even like Daniel doesn't even look no. younger. He's not even an older guy that can play younger. He's an older guy that plays older. He's just like a very edgy, rough looking guy. And Fred Hampton looked a little older than he was, but he, the reality is he was 21. Right. Well, he was, well, and let's, let's go back. He was 21 when he was killed. Right. He had been working, you know, it, and, and even go back and, and, and a part of my issue also was a sequence of events that are in the movie. And I was like, no, that didn't happen then. And so just like going through it, the way they made this film seem, and a lot of stuff is really out of sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that's for dramatic purposes. I just think it was a, a lot of missed opportunities with this film. And yes, it's supposed to be from, you know, uh, Bill O'Neill's perspective, I guess. It was supposed to be about him, but the movie is Judas and the Black Messiah. Right. So I, I think they missed a lot. And honestly, even when I talked to family members after, because I, I literally had to call the next day, like, did y'all see the movie yet? Did y'all see the movie yet? Because I'm honestly shocked that the family was involved. Uh-huh. Um, that O'Neill's family that, was involved? No, um, oh, Fred Hampton's mm-hmm. family. Uh, and, I, and I understand, I think, why, because I think this was probably the best opportunity to get something, a good film, done. Because, um, you know, the script... Or, you know, people have been trying to do a Fred Hampton movie for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular script, before it was rewritten, this script has been floating around for years. Mm. And so I understood that, you know, um, in order for it to get made, I think, by a major studio or the money that they needed to get it made, that they had to bring some other elements in it. And the elements were pretty much, you know, the FBI and, you know, the snitch mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But there were, there were so many, and, and, and like Kim was saying, there's so many other dynamics in Chicago that were happening. The FBI portion of this came in at the very end, but there was so much leading up to it with um, just what was happening in Chicago, period, with, you know, just the Chicago police and the state police. Right. And what they were, what was happening to Fred Hampton prior to the FBI is like, oh, okay, now we, you know, because if you look at the time, I mean, it was just like from the very beginning, I was like, hmm, that didn't happen like that. (laughs) I don't even, to be honest, and and maybe you all can help me, I don't even know why the FBI was involved because I thought that the FBI gets involved when there are crimes that go across states. Like not something that's just happening in the city. So well, this was like well, 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 this is during the J the J or who I mean, I were tell pro right, and, and they. But what was happening? It wasn't just in Chicago because if you look, the Black Panther Party in Illinois didn't get started until 1968. Yeah. It was happening. What was happening during that time? And see, they did a poor job, I think, 
of showing that what was happening during that time across the country at black because leading up to this the fbi had been coming in across the country and doing all these hundreds of raids on black their their whole purpose was to to take the black panther party down from the inside and if they removed the leadership they felt it would crumble and so across the country like even prior to this happening him being uh fred hampton being killed prior to that it was a lot of other stuff going on in oakland and other uh chapters that they didn't do a good job of in my opinion of showing the the atmosphere that was happening and so when you look at the timeline, like the, the way they had the timeline set up, so they had, it looks like in the movie that he he's chairman mm-hmm. and Bill O'Neill infiltrates and then it looks like months later he's killed. All right. But that's not the timeline. The actual timeline is they put Bill O'Neill in almost from the beginning when the Black Party Party was, it was established mm-hmm. in. He was actually more like just turning a little like maybe 17, yeah, 17 when he infiltrated but he was he was almost 20 he was 20 when Fran happened he had already been under and in he had been there for two almost two and a half years mm-hmm. so it, in the movie though it looks like he infiltrated and then like you know six months later he was killed right so I think they did they didn't do a good job in my opinion of just showing how young this guy really was and how long, like how long he had been manipulated by the FBI? Yeah, and I think I think another thing is that the FBI had actually Fred was on the FBI's radar before he Way before, before he even yeah. became a Panther, I believe, just because of other. He acti- was the leader of the NAACP yeah. in Illinois. Yeah, other activities so, he had been. And, and then another thing, like that arrest for the ice cream, it didn't happen in the movie when it happened. Mm-hmm. That actually happened before he was ever a Black Party member, mm-hmm. a Black Panther member. That actually happened in 67 when he was still the head of the NAACP. But they will have you, like the way the movie frames it, is that he was already chairman and he was already, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, doing whatever. And that's not, he, that happened. It became an issue, of course, because he was arrested. It was trumped up charges because he was already being targeted by the Chicago and state police. Right. So 66, 67, he had been in the NAACP and heading the NAACP. And that's how he even became like, you know, somebody that Bobby Rush was like, oh, this is the guy we want heading up the party in Illinois. He was already doing that and fighting and doing all these things, you know, free lunch programs and stuff. That was stuff he was already doing with the NAACP. So that was 67. He was arrested that summer, 67, for the ice cream thing. He didn't become a member of the Black Panther Party until 1968. He didn't become chairman of the Black Panther Party until 1969. That was quick. He was not. Um, he was. He was a very charismatic and very yeah. intelligent guy. Like if you read his background, all throughout his young, like middle school, he was the leader of this, mm-hmm. led this, uh, the mm-hmm. president of this, bringing different. Yep. Um, interracial or or racially diverse groups together even like in middle school high school that's just who he was you know what i'm saying so uh -hmm. him and that's why i guess he had to get targeted because he was that young that charismatic and and the ability to bring all the fbi had a file on him 
they had a file on him before he was ever a member of the Black Party. Panel. Right. Hoover already had a, a file on him. Right. I mean, before he ever became a member of the Black Party, Panther Party. I mean, they were just so young. Too. I mean, I, you all can give your I'll pause. I just, I'm just amazed at how young they really were. Right. And that at that age, he, he knew, and another thing, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm all over the place here, but <laughs> That's all right. Mark Clark. Mark Clark wasn't even portrayed in the movie at all, but Mark Clark was the deputy of defense. For, for He was his basically right-hand man. But the way they had it in the movie tried to make it seem like Bill O'Neill was. And that Mark Clark just showed up at the and end he wasn't. when he got shot. And that he showed up yeah. at the end. He was the second-in-command of the Illinois Black Panther yeah. Party. So... Where was his character? Right. And, you know, it was just like, there were things like that that were just like, okay, well, where's Mark Clark? And that's what I, like, from the beginning, like, well, which character is supposed to be Mark Clark? (laughs) Right. Right. That's like you took uh, Abernathy completely out of the movie of uh, an MLK movie. Like, (laughs) what Abernathy? (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, they didn't have that aspect of it. So they didn't have Mark Clark in there until, you know, the and then even at the end, you're not really even sure which one of them was supposed to be that character mm-hmm. un, un, until, you know, yeah. I mean, if you know the history, but if, if people are just now seeing this movie or just now kind of learning about the intimate details of it, you would know that, yeah, Mark Clark was on duty, you know, security that night. Right. Um, and that he had a shot. And that was another thing, like, you know, supposedly the raid was because they supposedly had illegal weapons, but Bill and Neil had already told them that the weapons that they had were illegal. I mean, were legal. Mm-hmm. They didn't have any legal weapons, illegal weapons in, in the house. And even further, I know this because <laughs> some inside information here, um, the night before, that they raided, originally the raid was supposed to happen on December 3rd at like eight or nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. They didn't, they changed it because they were like, we should wait till everybody's asleep because they figured they would have all these weapons in there and they didn't want to have, they, you know, they would have all these weapons and they wanted to take them really more at surprise and more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So they waited. But the night before, on December 3rd, and um, my father, my aunt, my aunt, I was talking to my aunt, and she said they actually did, the reason why there were no weapons found in the house is because the night before, Mark Hart, my father, who was at that time a chief with the conservative vice lords, and his sister helped move the weapons. Mark Hart brought the weapons to them and had them store the weapons. Mm. And they did so when they was like, "Oh, it was a shootout." Nobody ever believed that. Well, at least in my family, nobody believed that because there were no weapons. There were no weapons. <laughs> there were no yeah. weapons, and the only weapon that was there was the one weapon that Mark Hart had. Mm-hmm. But there were no weapons at all in the house, and that's why they were so like, "Where you know why were you know?" They were shocked that there were no weapons, but there were no weapons because they had been moving. My aunt said she didn't know if he got a, you know if they knew about something was going down, but the, but it could he could have had a heads up because they would perform. That was their whole thing. They were trying even when the when that when they raided the office and they burned down the building, they were doing these raids consistently trying to find information because. They had informants too. It wasn't just the FBI that had informants in there. They had Chicago police that had informants. Right. 
And, you know, so they were consistently raiding, 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 raiding. They were always raiding them. And I don't know if they were getting heads up beforehand, but they moved all the weapons the night before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's why there were no weapons in that house. I want to um, go back to uh, you were mentioning your dad was a, a vice lord at the time. My And I'm not my father. He lived in Chicago like 17 years, I think. Um, he and my uncle and they would always tell me or uh, tell the family sit around, you know, sit around the fire and talk and tell stories about all the gangs of Chicago and all this and all that. Um, when they were portraying the crowns or whatever, again, I'm not from Chicago, but I was kind of like, I have never heard of the crown. I'm not saying that they don't exist, but when I was reading the background, they said it was like a culmination of a lot of gangs. And I was just kind of like, so I just felt like if you didn't, I believe. Uh, so the, and at that time, so if you remember in the movie, they said they went to the south side with a gang on the south side. The only gang that was the most, and actually this was the, the Blackstone Rangers, the Peace Stone yeah. Rangers. They were, at that time, probably the most powerful. Definitely the most powerful on the south side. So I think, I said, oh, that's supposed to be the Peace Stones and Jeff uh-huh. Fort. So I think that's who that was. So the leader was supposed to be Jeff Fort. And uh, the gang, I think, is was supposed to be representative of the, the peace song. I just, the, the song. I just don't understand why we and, and call me dumb. Why couldn't we have just used their their name? <laughs> like it's not like a Greek organization. No, there's some legal things around it. They probably pulled it out as a form of not one, you know, making white people comfortable. Uh huh. Um, but probably too, the studio probably had them change the name just for legal purposes. Because even the guy, the leader of the gang, his name was changed. They didn't right. use his name, and I think that was he was supposed to represent Jeff Ford. But if you look, like they didn't even. I, I think that was also a missed opportunity because what they what those scenes when he goes and he talks to the Latino gang, and he talks to the the um, the the redneck from Appalachia, and then you know the crowns. What that was supposed to represent, I think, which again is missed, is that he was the main reason that all of these poor, the poor people's movement, right. uh, the young, the, like the Latinos, he uh, he approached. They probably they were supposed to represent the young lords, which at the time it started out as a street game, but they turned into a political organization. And at the time, they were giving uh, Chicago PD the fist. Mm-hmm. Then. I, I'm not really understanding what what the whole piece the, the, because yes he did he he was responsible for bringing some of those gangs in but at the end of the day they were street gangs they weren't political organizations but he was responsible for a lot of the rival gangs he was one of the ones that helped negotiate truth mm-hmm. he helped them um, um, so that was part of him bringing those people together I think was a missed opportunity for them to talk about the, why he because I think it showed why he they felt he was such a threat not because he was a Black Panther right. but because he was showing so much power right. and bringing everybody with, together what they what they missed is like once he started bringing these organizations together they were responsible they were shutting down construction sites because there weren't enough um, black and Latino, brown people. He was helping the the. Uh, they were showing up and helping the Appalachians. Mm-hmm. You know, fighting against the poor. So, so and he was all of these. They 
thousands of people strong. So it wasn't just, okay, it was cool when it was just the Black Panther Party, but when you started bringing together right. the, the poor white folks, the poor Latinos, the Latin, and then he got the street gangs involved and then they were starting, so they were showing up, so they, they were showing up on like these construction sites. They were shutting these constructions, picketing, and basically shutting these construction sites down because they didn't have any black and brown workers on the mm-hmm. sites. And for days, and like they were like shutting, people were losing money. And that's what I, so if you didn't know the history, you, you don't know why he was going around talking to these people because they just kind of glossed over it in the movie that you saw him going to do these speeches, you know, to the white, you know, the Appalachians. Right. But. You don't know what the purpose was. For and that. I also, my issue with that was, well, first of all, I had mentioned that all these stories my father ever told me, I had never heard of the crowns. <laughs> but I was just like, they mentioned the young patriots, they mentioned the disciples by name. I didn't understand why they couldn't just name this actual gang and not just make up the crowns. I was like, okay. Um, the other thing, the other thing. The have their name trademark? Huh? I feel like the Bloods have their name trademark or something. I don't know. I and they didn't mention the vice lords. I think it was something, I'm sure, that was legal about it. It had to be. Because it made no and sense it, otherwise. It was weird. It, I felt it was also weird for them. To, I felt it was weird and kind of cartoonish for them to all be it. And I, you know, I ain't never been in the game, so maybe they do this. I was <laughs> like, why are we all in just one place and we all dressed in uniform? It just felt really cartoonish and not what I would assume gangs the, 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 the scene that. where they met with the crowns I was like yeah no, I'm sure gangs no. have their main house but yeah. it's not that formal that felt very formal and I was just <laughs> like that's weird and and also they wouldn't have met like they, if he came he would have only met with the chief yeah. he wouldn't have met with like you know he would have had who would have been present would have been the chief and the enforcer. Right. The rest of them wouldn't have been right. there. Yeah. And they went all have, it wouldn't have been no need for and them. They wouldn't have all there. been in uniform. All just I was like that was so there were no uniform. But but I do I wanna get back to how um I agree with you on like they just they glossed over like when he was meeting with the the young pages or whatever, the Appalachian, the white people their main gripe at the time wasn't the police per se. And when he went into that meeting, Mm -hmm. it was like the pigs, the pigs. Their main gripe was economics. It was economical. And they never talked about that. Like he he had an issue with like a lot of capitalism a a lot. And it was just... Exactly. And the the thing with the Appalachians is that they were trying to get these jobs on the construction sites too, and they were looked upon as bad as you know the black and brown people, the poor white trash or whatever. So like it was like you said, it was more economics. So, but they didn't show how powerful like they like if they would have even with archival footage, they had so much footage of them marching and shutting down construction sites. That's why he was a threat. Right, right. It wasn't just because he was a Black Panther Party member. It was he was powerful enough that he had rival gangs and white people that were and and, and white poor white people, people, poor black right. people, poor Latino yeah. people. That was and they had all these people rising up, right. messing with. And he was well, only twenty one. And he was only twenty one. 
And he was getting money from where? Rich white folks. Mm. Like they, there was one thing incident where it wasn't in the movie, but it would have been like there was this group of um, I forget the family's name, but they had set up a meeting with the Black Panthers and some of the head lead heads of the game, the most powerful games in the area. And they were going to do this luncheon because they wanted to talk about they saw that how he had helped do these truces with these rival gangs and they wanted to help. They were like, you know, help, help with um, like, you know, art, business arts and, you know, stuff like that. And so at that time, like you had people like the Rockefellers and um, some of these other wealthy families that were doing grants for community programming and things like that. So they had set up this luncheon for all to, to meet with these heads. But before the luncheon happened, I guess the head of the the police, Chicago police, found out about it and got mad and demanded that they invite them to or something like that. So when all of these heads of these gangs start showing up and notice that it was all these police hanging around, they were like, nah, they left because they were taking pictures and stuff. So they left and it never even happened. Um, But it was stuff like that because they was meeting with these and, you know, the white guy even said at one point he, he... the the level of surveillance and the things he said if this is what they're dealing with you know he it, for him it was like oh they weren't lying they weren't exaggerating they are really doing these things because they did it to them and we you know kind of like and we rich white folks right. <laughs> so you know things like that I think just like this movie had none of the it was just so many missed opportunities about Fred Hampton's story and yes you know. Bill O'Neill was, you know, his, it was supposed to be from his perspective, but even that was skewed because they had it looking like he was, you know, starting to feel like regretful or like he was conflicted. He wasn't. <laughs> it was like there was nothing like, to say he, he was wasn't. conflicted. Like, no, as a matter yeah. of fact, they kind of hit on it a little bit. The, 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 um, there was a scene where Fred Hansen and him, got into to it and Bill took off because he it, he kept trying to push some type of violent confrontation for them to the do. Trump when he had mm-hmm. before. Yeah, remember that yeah. scene? Yeah. Yeah. So he was always apparently doing stuff like that. Like he wanted them to rob a McDonald's and he had um, one of the guys, my, my aunt said that one time they had went over there, he had like over his father's house, they had, he had like a lot of like, like, weaponry like bomb making materials and he had been trying to talk them into more and more it was like he was trying to push them to do mm-hmm. violent stuff but you know all the while and he and people started like what's up with him like and so towards the end fred hampton was like what's up with this fool like what's right, up with him right. right so it was like he, he was beginning to be like uh we don't want you here right. Kind of like, and I think that was part of some of the reasons why, you know, timetables got pushed up and, you know, now they were so, you know, because he had already been under two years. He had been, they hadn't really gotten anything on anybody. So I'm saying the portrayal of like a 17 or 18 year old doing this versus an almost 40 year old. I don't know how old Lakeith is. I'm just saying. Lakeith is, Lakeith is 30. He is 30. I mean, like. You just see it differently, like how a thirty-year-old has make decision-making processes versus a seventeen-year-old. Exactly. Like it would have just right. been so different. I'm gonna say Octavia, your story sound much better than that movie. <laughs> of course, because it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's 
it's real. That's why it's it's not made for like the TV. Like um, I'm gonna say something real quick. I'm gonna let Marcus jump in because Marcus been like double dutch trying to get me. But uh, <laughs> right, um, I was gonna say that um, look, um, me personally, um, Daniel's portrayal as as far as his age didn't really bother me because Fred's. I mean, yes, he seemed he looked older than Fred, but Fred kind of looked older. It it didn't bother right. me. Lakeith bothered me more because Lakeith really looked like a thirty year old dude. <laughs> and um, I think um, Daniel and um, the actress that plays Deborah, they're actually the same age. I think both are twenty nine. She's been on a lot of stuff. She's been really good in a lot. I think I think her name is Dumb. Yeah, she's she's really good. Um, but yeah, Lakeith really struck me as. Not only thirty, but like damn near thirty-six. That's what I'm Exactly. Right, and it's like if he had been portrayed by somebody younger, or at least somebody who came across as younger, you would be like, okay, I get that you you were just really not that it excuses it, but a, a teenager manipulation. Right, right. It was just being manipulated. I I I get it, kinda. And he really believed that. He was like they really had him convinced that he was doing. They were as dangerous right, as the Ku Klux Klan. Right, he was doing the greater good. And people can understand how, like watching the movie, you don't really get that how because he doesn't look like he was a seventeen, eighteen, nineteen exactly. year old teenager. Right, exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, um, Marcus. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you fine. No, I, I just. <sighs> The the portrayals I was the portrayals didn't bother me that much. I mean, though though they look older than the character they were trying to portray, I feel like the 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 lack of um whatever we feel like they don't look like they they don't look like it. I feel like that's more error in the writing mm-hmm. than it is Lakeith for Daniel's fault. That's more error. Oh, for sure, then, for sure. You know, and, and that and that's also partly because like. They're trying to make a movie, so they they take liberties to try and make things more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to fit it into like a two hour, it was, it was like two two hours. Mm-hmm. Trying to fit it into a two hour format, but that's also why I feel like we and we spoke before the podcast. Like this should have been like a Netflix miniseries, a Netflix miniseries. Right. Yep. But they, I feel like they could have really went into depth and really developed developed and fleshed out every character. Right. Well, and that was going to always be the problem with a movie titled Judas and the Black Messiah because there was no way they were going to be able to tell both of these men's stories in two hours. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it would have been a two and a half movie if they would have just tried to do Fred Hampton and even then a lot would have been missed. But trying to tell both kind of two sides of the same coin in two hours. Mm-hmm. There's no way to flush out a really good story. That just even sounds better as Netflix. Like what well, you could see Bill, you could see Fred, and then how he, how they mur- right. Daddy, that is sounded right. so much better than that hour I saw. I mean, I know it was two hours, but now, I, now I, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not. I I posted after I watched this movie. I posted that I have so many feelings, and it's because yeah, I was yeah, like, what were your feelings? I, I would just say this. I liked it. I liked it. I was gonna say it. I liked. I like the movie. I think that Keith did an. I think all the actors did an amazing job. 
with oh, yeah. And I think uh, the woman that played Deborah was underrated yeah. in that yeah. movie. Yeah. I thought Shaka did a good job directing it. Shaka King, he did a good job directing it. But oh, for sure, with what they had. Right. But but, but my feelings were that I just didn't feel the connection I wanted to feel for whatever mm-hmm. reason that was. Like I, they didn't give me enough of. They didn't give me enough of Fred or. I feel like they they were trying. Uh, of course, they. I guess they were trying to show it from Bill's perspective, but at the same time, I don't feel like we got enough of Bill either. I don't think we got enough of either right. to to have this right. emotional connection where I was gonna feel distraught when Fred gets killed, and I was like, oh, I'm sad he got killed. But I was just telling them before the podcast, I was like, I was more emotionally distraught in Malcolm X and a lot of other biopics. <laughs> Even though we knew the assassination was coming. And, and this one, I was like, man, you know, I hate it. <laughs> and even that was kind of anti. I loved, I think the actors were amazing yeah. with what they had. <laughs> I mean, right. with, the, with the material that was given, I think Lakeith did a very good job of uh, bringing some type of, cause, because people were just automatically not going to feel Bill O'Neill's character. Exactly. I think, you know, people were like, oh, no. (laughs) From the very beginning, people were always going to be like, yeah, we don't. So I think he did a good job trying to bring some type of. Humanizing. Yeah. Yeah. To him. And I think he came up with the thing is, is that especially for me and because they were trying to make it seem like he was this, you know, misunderstood. He didn't really want to do it. He was, you know, but that that wasn't that wasn't what it was. And that's not who he, he was a small time. You know, he want, he was this guy that wanted to be this like wannabe gangster. Mm-hmm. And like he, who what his real personality was. I think they didn't portray it like that because he would have really been like the villain villain. Cause people like, I think they were trying to give some type of humanize, like, he, like yeah, humanize yeah. him. Like, because he's been so vilified and nobody really knows his story, but don't nobody want to know. But the way they could have humanized him would make him, make, him, make him a child. Right. More right. Then you, then you do develop some empathy for the character. And you understand these stupid decisions yeah, right, he made. You understand right. how law enforcement can manipulate a situation, manipulate a person. That would have been a very bad storyline. Could have gotten that like that connection more so, and still he would have been the supervillain. Like you still would have gotten yeah. both those. I, I, I think the issue with that is because they're trying to tell both Bill and. Fred's exactly. keep jumping back and forth so as far as developing and telling their story so we can get an emotional attachment or better understand what Bill was coming from they don't we can't do that because the second we start to maybe even slightly understand okay we're back to Fred and then when they talk about Fred okay it's back to Bill so we, well, but you couldn't even really get yeah, yeah. but to, you, to Kim's point I feel like you tell half of Bill's story by just casting him as a young person if you cast him as a young person that's half the story that's damn he was just manipulated from jump and i understand he's manipulated and, and you know what i'm saying but to make him 45 year old and then even dumb then, decisions you like i don't i don't, I don't. but but even then when, did y'all see his interview with eyes on a prize too did y'all see that I, interview I, I 
think I actually think I saw that interview years ago, but I haven't gotten a refresh. I just saw the snippet from the movie. But the thing is, they tried to make it seem like I, I think this is probably what pissed a lot of people off. Like, well, let me take that back. What angered a lot of uh, Chicago folks is they tried to make him, like you said, human. They tried to make us like, oh, dang, you know. He, you know, tried to make us feel sorry for him or something. He didn't really want to do it. But even, you know, ye- you know, decade later in 80 something. He wasn't remorseful. He wasn't sorry. Yeah. He wasn't remorseful. Yeah. He didn't, you know, he basically said he'd do it again. And this, he's an adult dope by now. You know, he's had time to look at, you know, what he did. And then when you think about it, even after Fred Hampton was killed, he still was undercover yeah. with them. They didn't find out that he was the one until it started going to court and that stuff started coming out in the civil trial in 1973. Yeah. That is when it came out who he was, that he was the one that provided all this information and they put him in witness protection. Mm-hmm. He went to prison. He didn't. So it's three years. He, he wasn't sorry. He was interviewed. trying to jump in. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Marcus. No, no, I'm gonna say, you, like, and I'm gonna show you about to say it too, Mimi. Even in that Eyes in the Prize interview, yeah. that he did it in the movie. He yeah. didn't sound like No, that. he sounds completely arrogant. He, yeah, exactly. Very yes. arrogant. And this was, and by this time, this was what, 84? I, I thought that interview was 90. 85? Yeah, I think that interview was in the 90s. Well, you know what? It was 1990. Yeah. But that's what it was. It was 90, but he went back to Chicago. He went back. I don't know if he left witness protection, but went back to live in Chicago in Maywood in 86. Right, the arrogance. Right. <laughs> but he was living under assumed name. He was living under William Hart. He wasn't living it. So unless you were his family, you may not have even known, but I think I don't think he started feeling any type of guilt or anything until he went back to Chicago. Okay. The first point of when I checked out is when that man said, I saw Mitchell, the FBI agent, as a mentor. I was like, and okay. (laughs) I said, wait a second now. (laughs) You saw this man as a mentor. How? Yeah. So did you see him as a mentor? Uh, And then I was like, what is that? And then, but he said that in that yeah, he, interview. Yeah, he said in the interview we didn't have many uh, uh, role models, and he said we we had Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. I was like, what the fuck is this dude here on right here? This dude I mean, is tripping. I mean, that's why I said, what is happening? Yeah, I mean, but we should have known. Like, what I know it wasn't him in the beginning of the movie when Mitchell like test him or whatever, and he asked him, "How did you feel when Malcolm uh, was?" It? I guess he asked about Doctor King. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, how, I guess. He didn't feel a type of way when he died. We, we, I mean, we we knew then what type of person he was. He was more. Exactly. I mean, if we if we were to go back and psychoanalyze this dude as a teenager, he would probably be on the narcissistic scale. You know, with, with Donald Trump, said, like he would have a mental. He's a narcissist. Yeah, he would have a mental thing going on. So you young, you already got this mental issue going on. He had these visions of grandeur yes. and he was like, and then the longer he was in and under with them, he, it, I think that fed that narcissism yes. within him because um, from what I understand, even when, in talking to, you know, my family about him because, you know, of our connection with him, they were like, you know, he was really considered like, oh, oh yeah, you know, like, like a, not a, I don't want to say a clown, but nobody took him seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So he was just like, oh, uh, you know, a lot of the people he ended up, you know, why people was like, well, how did he even one? Well, how was he able to infiltrate and get that close and to be able to be Fred Hampton's bodyguard? But, and, you know, and this is one of the re- I've always and I, I was telling, you know, talking to my family, this is one of the reasons I've always thought why he was able to have that kind of access, because. You know, I said at the beginning that Fred Hampton is um, our cousin. My father and him were like a year apart. They grew up, they came, their families came from Haynesville, Louisiana together. Like his father and their, you know, came at the same time my father's father did. So they kind of grew up together. Bill O'Neill, one of my grandmother's childhood friends, we called it, you know, everybody's auntie, Aunt right. Bibi, but she wasn't really our aunt, but you know, she was just like, oh, he aunt. He was later married to one of her daughters and so you know we knew who he he had access because i think at some point my father was that 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 connection and i think he wasn't viewed as a threat because he had this connections to so many people you know on the on on the inside and like you know mark clark was you know related to you know one of my other fathers and so it was just like i think because he had that kind of and nobody really viewed him as any kind of threat because he was like, oh, you know, he was the people he was he was hanging around with. He probably wouldn't be have have been able to hang with those those dudes if he didn't have relationship. Yep. Right, Absolutely. the relationship. Right. Yep. And I think when he you know joined up with um, the Black Panthers, nobody you know saw it as oh you know that's so and so you know he would. You know he's with Cupid all the time. You know he yeah. was, or you know we've seen him with that's Tyrone and so I wanted to know how do you get involved in the organization? What is the vetting process? Because <laughs> well, that's the thing. He probably wasn't vetted really because he was he knew everybody. He right. grew up with everybody. He and even though people was like, oh, you know. They kind of just like okay, he he kind of like pat him on the head kind of thing. One, they thought he they, he was a little kid. He was seventeen, and when you look, he was years younger than everybody else. He was like two or three years younger, two years younger than everyone else. So you know, they kind of like oh, little brother, you know, yeah, they, he you know kind of thing, pat him on the head kind of yeah, thing. They, and then it's like you know, them the ones you got to watch like out the longer for. he. All the time, and I'm um, the one. But you know, we didn't know it. You know, they didn't know it then. But he was, you know, nobody would have thought that. You know, he's the one that's undercut. And like I said, he was in there another three years after he was killed before anybody knew. Right. And in his mind, you know, that just fed his ego essentially. All the, it just it made exactly. him it made him important to somebody, even though he wasn't important to somebody. To the Black yep. Panthers, nobody black in the community, no gangs, no none of them people gave a shit about him. Nobody. He was important to the FBI, and that made that fed his ego. Go ahead, Marcus. That fed his that narcissism. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I guess we talked about it earlier. I guess one thing that I felt like the movie almost captured but didn't quite capture was the really the juxtaposition, the juxtaposition between the two. So like Fred is like a mm-hmm. people, yeah, like one half of the people, but Bill O'Neill is like completely about himself. And it, it, it reminded me, like, when I'm playing sports, like, if you've got, if you, if you have a team and somebody's not completely bought into that team, that team is not going to succeed because you've got this, you say narcissistic, I say cancer within the group. Judas, and that was, yeah. Yeah, and, that, and this movie was a prime example. Right. And I, I, I think that the movie at one point, the, the one part where I think it did capture how his ego was and how he felt important was, um, 
that time where they they raid when they raided the headquarters, and then he went in there talking about you know there's a rat in here and I'm a, I'm gonna smoke him out I'm gonna smoke him out and then he walked out and kind of ch- chuckled to himself like kind of like look look what mm-hmm. I'm doing you know you know what I'm saying I'm just like oh my they, god like, I'm so I'm so much smarter right, than everybody right. else I was like look at this motherfucker he really think <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. just a complete asshole all the way around. So, <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, I thought it was poetic that both Judas and Bill O'Neill committed suicide, though. Well, <laughs> but see, and that's the thing, though. And I, 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 I was like, did he commit suicide? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. There's that. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Because I, I was like, I remember reading about it when it happened, and I thought, huh. And I was like, okay, wait, so he was at his cousin's house. <laughs> Cause at the time he committed suicide, he was already, he had already been back in Chicago like three years. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really knew except for his family, his family knew. And I guess he never really, according to his uncle, he never really talked about that time he never wanted to talk about it he never wanted to talk about the fbi and i was like oh so is this kind of his his guilt thing because you know before that he was rah 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 you know that was the thing and he had at that point he had been in witness protection for about what 12 13 years mm-hmm. he went from you know he got divorced from um our, our cousin our real cousin he got married again, and at the time he he got married again in California. He had been in California all that time, and then like three, all of a sudden he moves his family. He had just had a baby. He moves his family back to Chicago of all places. Mm-hmm. He's still under an assumed name, but I mean his family knows he's back. I don't know. I don't know if anybody else knew he was back at that time, but he had already been in Chicago three four years. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he's at his uncle's house and he had been working and worked for a law firm and you know, he, he all sense and purpose, he's still living his good life. He's at his uncle's house. His uncle said he had been acting weird. He goes into the bathroom. I personally think he was probably doing drugs or something, but okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes into the bathroom, he comes out, leaves, and all of a sudden he running out onto the freeway. Mm-hmm. Hey. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, I was like, hey, I mean, what, what for? <laughs> either he actually, uh, <laughs> either he actually paid attention to the words that were coming out of his mouth during this interview because they said he killed himself <laughs> later that same day, and he was like, God, yeah, because he killed himself the day it um aired. Yeah. I think. it premiered. Yeah, so either he actually listened to the words coming out of his mouth in the interview and was like, God damn, I was a really fucked up person and just couldn't take it anymore, or that was a very convenient time for somebody else to kill you. <laughs> And say that he was like, "Oh damn, I was a really fucked up person." So I just thought that was always weird. I was like, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, like you got the saying, "Go play in traffic." He took it literally, right? Yeah, go play right. Right. <laughs> I always wondered if people knew, like, if Fred Hampton's him, like, if people knew that he was back. Because I don't, I don't ever remember anybody saying anything about him being in Chicago or back in in Illinois. So I always wonder, and I, I think they did an interview recently with Fred Hampton's wife or widow, 
And she said when he died, she went to the funeral. To Bill's funeral. And that to William O'Neill's funeral. Really? What? And that she she said she went because she had planned to spit on him in his casket and knock it over. Okay. She was going to be disruptive. <laughs> okay. And that's what she was planning to do. But when she got there and looked in, it didn't look like him. She was like, it wasn't like, I guess what she had envisioned all this time, he didn't look anything like what she remembered. And she kind of just was like, she kind of turned around and left. But she said when she went there, she planned to spit and knock the um, casket over. And so I thought that was interesting that she would say, but when she looked in the casket, he he didn't look, I guess, like she remembered him looking. He didn't look like Bill O'Neill. Yeah. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit. Right. You have all the interesting tidbits. Oh yeah. They should have they should have made the movie written by Octavia. Yes. <laughs> this mini series and would have been I'd have been like, Y'all come watch this shit. Cause this shit gonna be lit. It's gonna be way better than what they did with um David them. <laughs> but I was, you know, I, I always said I would. I don't know if you, you guys, if you ever get a chance. Um, years ago, there was an opportunity. I always said I wanted to do this, but it is just never. You know, I've had we've had an opportunity, and people have showed interest, and it's kind of come and gone. But you know, like back in like maybe the late nineties. Uh, at one point, Bobby Gore. Bobby Gore was one of the leaders of the conservative vice lords. And then, you know, I think it kind of what their story, a lot of their story, when you look at some of the heads, is a lot of what they did to the Black Panthers. So, you know, framing them for stuff and, you know, people, Bobby Gore went to prison for a murder they said he committed, but he wasn't, he just happened to show up after it was over and like, oh yeah, he did Mm -hmm. it. So that kind of thing. So he went to year, jail for quite a long time, for, to prison for about, I don't know, 15 years, I mm-hmm. think, and then got out on appeal or something like that. But years ago, the, 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 the production team that did The Shield on FX and Sons of Anarchy were actually interested in doing a series, something like that, for about the vice lords doing, that conservative vice lords doing like that period from like like the 70s when they were like, there was a a period of time where they had kind of took and taken some some of what they had learned from working with the Black Panther Party. And they were like getting grants, they had uh, incorporated, you know, they had worked with this white guy from um, a university in Hartford. And they got like, they got, you know, a million dollars from like the Rockefeller Foundation. And so they had did all these like programs they had opened up um, an art store, clothing store, an ice cream team, a team place in, in Lawndale area. And they were going to do a series about that time about them. And, and then, I don't know, some, you know, between going back and forth and negotiating with Bobby Gore, it just never happened. And then he died. Mm. But I always wanted to do, I say all this to say, I always wanted to do some type of series. I'm not a great writer, but I said one time I'm going to hire <laughs> someone to do it. But if you guys get a chance, there's a book that was written called A Nation of Lords. Okay. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's kind of talks about that period during, um, during that time when they were getting all that money and doing all these things. And then what happened is 
the state's attorney and Ed Haranahan, who was also part, that's who the FBI went to. They kept trying to, the FBI trap kept trying to get the Chicago police to raid the Black Panthers. And they, they had like turned them down two or three times about raiding them. And they finally went to Haranahan, who, is a, who was a state district attorney at the time. And he is the one that finally raided them. But kind of the same thing, he got a hold of, they were, he didn't like the fact that they were, you know, getting all this money and they were doing all these things and kind of went on this same kind of, um, this the same kind of actions against them that they did against the Black Panthers. So just a lot of parallel stories that were happening. It was so much that was going on in their time and so much history and stuff. And I was just like, wow. These are some stories, and I think a lot of people, are, especially because Chicago police and the, um, even the Chicago political people are still considered so um, corrupt, crooked, yeah, corrupt yeah. that even the I think people are just afraid to do those stories. And a lot of times, you know, so I, you didn't even see any of that in the movie about the you know the, the them being targeted because a lot of those raids and stuff were Chicago raids. They weren't the FBI. Mm-hmm. Those were the they, the raids that they were doing against by uh, Fred Hampton and things. Those that was the like this when they blew up the building. Mm-hmm. They set that building on fire. That wasn't the FBI. Right. That was the Chicago police. Right. All of those raids and things that were happening, they some of them may, were coordinated, but but that the murder of Fred Hampton that was Hoover and FBI. Right. That for sure. Yeah. And, you know, that's been proven. Right. Because they had to pay the family almost two million, not even quite two million. But, yeah. Right. But none of that, you know, it was so much happening and that that, 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 that vibe during that time, none of that, you know, of what the Chicago, what was happening with the Chicago police, you know, even him, them setting them up with the ice cream, that was a Chicago police. And they, they were never ever, they couldn't get him on anything. Mm -hmm. And the FBI got, you know, even more and more like, okay, the Chicago, what Chicago is doing isn't working. And when he became a member of the black party Panther, I mean, black Panther party, that's when they put that guy put Will O'Neill in there. Like, Bill O'Neill. Like Marcus there. was just trying to say, they did have that in they had that in the movie where they just couldn't could never really get anything on them and they just mm-hmm. started getting desperate or uh, or whatever, I guess. So I mean that needs to be yeah. that need, like the story of the like the terrorists, domestic terrorists that Jan Hoover was, like that story needs to be told. Cause they keep glossed yeah. they keep getting glossed over and like mentioned loosely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's coming out like I told you all on the, I don't know whatever we were reviewing. I watched MLK FBI and mm-hmm. about oh, yeah. how the FBI had infiltrated and was mm-hmm. uh, surveilling MLK because those I think all the paperwork for that is released in 2027, where you can go and read all the FBI documentation. So I think it's slowly coming out in like bits and pieces. But not in enough for us to be like Hoover posthumous. What's that word? Posthumously needs some charges filed against him. (laughs) Oh, for sure. We're gonna we're gonna dig him out the grave and and put him back in the jail. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that word I couldn't come out. Yeah. Y'all know they don't hold yeah, rich white you, men accountable for shit. Look at this trial. And, and, and look at this impeachment. Right. Look at this impeachment. Like, it, it, like, how are you going to stand up there and be like, oh, yeah, he did that, but 
Hold him accountable? Oh, he did it. What are you talking about? Are you crazy? We can't hold this man accountable. Like, oh, for sure he did it. He I for mean, sure did dude, it. Mitch McConnell was like, oh yeah, he did it. But we ain't gonna do that. But if you guys, if you guys want like a definitive, probably the most definitive, I think, account of what happened with Fred Hampton is probably in his life. It's probably the book that his attorney wrote after it was all over. Have y'all read that by Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Haas? That was probably, if you if you want, like, he, I would think that's probably the most definitive piece, piece together with documents and about his life and what happened is that book. It's, it, I think I, um, years ago I got it off of Amazon, the hardcover, but I think they have the digital, I think they had the Kindle and the hard book still on Amazon. Mm-hmm. But Jeffrey Haas, that, that book will give you all the details about his murder, what the FBI did, and when you, if you, you Kim, you know how you said you couldn't watch it because, you know, the, the, the building blow you was out after the building blew up? That's not even, like, what they really did, it's, it wasn't even, it was really glossed over in, in the movie. Yeah, yeah I'm like sure you will it's really just the be... tip of the iceberg of the, of the terror. I'm yeah, sure. right. For sure. Well, <laughs> Well, we we covered a hell of a lot there. <laughs> Before we go, man, yeah. I, I, the soundtrack for this movie, this soundtrack oh. is like up there with the Black Panther soundtrack to me. For sure, man. man the 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 Nipsey the Nipsey Hole the Nipsey Hole track, the her soundtrack, which I think is like the theme to the uh-huh. or like the or like the theme to the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but they got I mean songs by Nas. Yeah. Um, even when the soundtrack starts with Fred Hampton um, Jr. and the December 4th song, oh, man. The, exactly. Yeah, this, this is another movie where we were like, the soundtrack, I mean, not that. <laughs> the soundtrack yeah. is better than the I movie. Mean, I, the movie is, I, I like the movie, but I wish I wish it would have been better. I, it it could have been so much better. I just feel like that. But, yeah. I, I thought the movie would have would be like, for me, I, I, I think I had, the trailers were so good that I felt like, oh, this is going to be Fred Hampton's Malcolm X Denzel yeah. movie. Like, this yeah. was going to be, I, I felt like, you know, but then I was like, you know, that might have been a little, because when you think about it, he was like, but that movie was about Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the people that killed Malcolm yeah, X. It was, yeah, Elijah Muhammad, Nation, or the FBI, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So. I mean, I would just say for anyone who is interested in the movie, don't take Kim's review because I didn't finish it. I think you should listen to Octavia, Mimi, and Marcus. <laughs> I think you should watch the movie. Got through the movie, right? I watch the movie, and, and but realize that there are some. Just take it as an opportunity to, to go research yourself and and find out oh, all the yeah. holes yep. and the the right stories on um, the right uh, timeline and. You know all of all of the and, and the characters who were in the movie that didn't really exist in real, uh, real life. Uh, it's a great jump off point, exactly. to go learn the real history. Exactly, exactly. So, in which I think people really should go re- definitely get the real history. And I and I'm glad one and I'm also glad that because of this movie his family has been able to raise the money that they needed to make his home, his childhood home, uh, um, 
a landmark. So I'm glad that they were able to do that. That that's good, but it's it's definitely a jump off from people. I think more people should know because you know when you realize at the age of you know 18, 19, 20 that this man was ready to die and knew that he would probably die. Mm-hmm for what he was doing. I can't imagine myself, I'm looking at myself like at this age and thinking, am I ready to die? Am I willing to die for Black Lives Matter? <laughs> I'm just going to keep writing these pressure releases and volunteering my time. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm going to give some donations, but donate my, so my donate, whole body. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, this man, and I mean, he knew that they were going to kill him. Right. But like what y'all just said, what y'all just said, I feel like the movie tried to show. I feel like people we like to believe that we're either, um, uh, what do you, uh, we're either we're afraid of him, but I think in all actuality, we have traits of Bill O'Neill in us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like part of the. I don't. I'm right or die. <laughs> I mean, I, just, like, Marcus, I, I don't know if I got the snitcher ability. I don't know. I'm going to jail before I snitch. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying. I, say, I hear what you're saying, Marcus. I understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that we have the snitch part, but a lot of us. We don't think about it. Well, it's, 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 it's the, self-preservation, but it, it's also, it. uh, again, capitalism, which I found was a good tie. In because that's kind of like well not kind of but that was a lot of what Fred was fighting against greed and ca- it's greed like Bill was greed it was ego and greed and it was paying mm-hmm. him and giving him this and giving him that and if you are grow up poor another thing I wish that and we gotta wrap this up soon but another thing like I don't know Bill's background I wish we had known if was this motherfucker really really poor and, and if you're young and poor and somebody offers you this opportunity and you ain't really thinking about no revolutionary shit you probably gonna be like oh yeah i'm down like what you what you want to do well yeah because you gotta you yeah that's that i think the money was more about it and and this perception of power because i mean even when you read some of the um reports from the fbi what they gave him like you know they spent took fifteen hundred dollars and bought him a car they bought him you know they gave him a thousand dollars you know for this they got him out of jail because he was doing still doing petty crime stuff while he was under so they were getting him out of jail he wasn't getting no charges so it was this perceived yeah if you're a teenager, you a teenager mm-hmm. with a car and $1,000, if I was 17 with a car exactly. and a you couldn't tell me shit. I'd be, I, but that's when it goes back to what Kim right. said. I'd be up like this. You got this 30-year-old man. I think they said, said he had two phones in his car. Had what? He had uh, two phones in his car. Oh, yeah. I'm saying, I would be leaning back with the gangster lean pulling up to the school like hey and that's what he was doing and that's what he was doing but but he had people think he was stealing these cars yeah and see they didn't make that clear in this right the car they were in he was like where you get this from he was like oh i stole it and then they showed him trying to hide but it was the car he got from that right but they didn't even make that clear and I thought that scene was very weird because they was like, well, if it was hot wire, why didn't steal hot wire? He was like, oh, I got my boy to put new locks on. I was like, who the fuck does that? Is that right? Who does Placing the locks on a stolen car. <laughs> on a car? On a stolen car. As a teenager? <laughs> okay. What boy? And were they doing that back in the 60s? That's what I'm saying. Just, Could they do that in the 60s? I'm just saying. Like, I know now we can go get our, you know, car replaced or, you know, get, get my, could they really do that? I, mean, I was like, I want 
want to look that up. Can they do that? Ain't, that ain't what I learned from New Jersey Drive. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, Marcus, wrap us up because you about to say something. So wrap us up. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Oh, I was okay. gonna wrap us. I was gonna. Oh, come on. Um. Thank you all for joining us on this episode where we've reviewed this. As you can see, we have a lot to say about this two-hour movie. I want to thank Octavia for joining us and giving her insight and tell that story. You don't need a writer. You just need to sit down with someone and dictate. Have right. this, write it for you. That's all you got to do. <laughs> they can go back and listen to this podcast and form <laughs> a series or feature. Right. So, <laughs> go ahead. Um, before, um, is there any um social media you want to shout out? Um, you know, anything going on as far as you want to plug <laughs> before we go? Okay. <laughs> I always want to check with my with with you know our guests. I always want to check like if anything you want to be like. No, this was fun. I had fun, and um, I I, I, I was I wanted to. I've been trying. I've been holding off on talking to uh, Mimi all this time because I was like, ooh, I want to say it, but I want to hold it. But ooh, but right. I, I was right. <laughs> so thank you guys for letting me process with you guys. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Thank you for processing with us. Yes. And to all of our listeners, make sure to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Follow us. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, make sure to like and review so that we can become one of the top podcasts for television review, television and movie reviews. So thank you for time with us. Mel isn't here, but I think we we handled it without without Mel. Yeah, yeah, I think she she would be proud of us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, bye, bye, bye. Thank you guys again.